the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. Oftentimes, the greatest battle against what the enemy plants in our heads, you know, the way he whispers things that can stir fear in our hearts, is this battle of the mind to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Because First or Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So fear does not come from the Lord. That is either from our own flesh or that is from the enemy trying to rattle us. Fear is an emotion that all of us struggle with on some level. It's an innate struggle resulting from our sinful nature. We want to protect ourselves from pain and discomfort in every form, and our enemy knows and exploits this in us. As Pastor Gary continues our study of the book of 1 Samuel in today's message, he'll remind us that fear never comes from God. When you find it filling your heart and mind, it's time to lean into the Holy Spirit for peace and comfort. Trusting your Father is in control. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. You have maybe a heavy heart, you're burdened by something, and you just start to worship the Lord, and you, and you lift your hands in praise, and you just lift your voice, and you, and you don't even necessarily feel, feel like worshiping, but the more you do, there's just this natural benefit of God breathing His presence into your heart and lifting your soul. And so, so never discount just the wonder of worship, because as we worship the Lord, there's this natural result that happens for us. Sometimes it's good just, you know, when you're in your car or you're, you know, at home or whatever, that you turn on the radio you, or you hit Pan, Pandora on your phone and you just hit some worship music and, and you just fill the room with worship. And as God is exalted, there's this wonderful thing that begins to just happen in our souls. And, and so, you know, here's, here Saul is tormented by this spirit, but as David plays... And David's this worshiper. You know, he wrote 75% of the Psalms inspired by the Holy Spirit. As he, as he, as he worships, you know, God is soothing Saul's soul. And it's a good reminder to us. All right, chapter 17. Let's keep reading because this is the, this is the big chapter. A lot of people don't even go to church or are familiar with this story. This is the story of David and Goliath. And, and so chapter 17 says, now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and were gathered at Sukkoth. Sukkoth is about 15 miles due west of Bethlehem. 
which belongs to Judah. And they encamped between Sukkot and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Okay, so, you know, they're, they're drawing up battle lines, and, and the Philistines are on one mountain, and the Israelites are on another. They've got a valley in between them, and there's this bit of a standoff. And the Philistines are going to showcase one massive man who will intimidate them and cause them great fear. And, of course, his name is, is Goliath. And so we're introduced to him in the next verse, verse 4. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. All right, now, a cubit in ancient measurement, a cubit is roughly 18 inches. A cubit is the distance between, in general, a man's elbow and his middle finger. So that length is a cubit. That's how they would measure a cubit. So it's roughly 18 inches. And then a span is the distance of a man's hand, roughly between his pinky to his thumb. It's about nine inches. And so he is six cubits, six times 18 inches, and another nine inches. So this guy stands nine feet, nine inches tall. All right, now, this is where some people who, you know, are skeptical about Christianity and the Bible, and they go, oh, come on, you know, you don't honestly believe there's a guy who's nine feet, nine inches tall. So let me just take a moment to kind of address where did the giants come from? There were giants in the land. The Bible records giants, and we are first introduced to them. And if you want to take your Bibles and go back, or you can just listen, but in Genesis chapter 6... Uh, because Goliath is a descendant of this race of people that came about because of a strange uh, uh, occurrence of events. And so in Genesis chapter 6, it says this, verse 1, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, that's an important phrase, I'll qualify it in a minute, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And there were giants, verse 4 says, there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, after the flood, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. All right, so it says here that the sons of God cohabitated with the daughters of men. What does this phrase mean? What, in fact, happened here? The phrase sons of God in Hebrew is B'nai Ha'elohim. B'nai Ha'elohim is used... Uh, only three other places in the Old Testament, and every place it is used, it speaks of angels. Baha Elohim. And the angels are the sons of God here in Genesis 6, but in its context, these are fallen angels. So Satan has already rebelled. He's already led a rebellion in heaven, 
Revelation says he led a third of the stars in rebellion with him. So how many are a third of the angels? We don't know how many that represents, but probably thousands, if not tens of thousands. And those fallen angels are now known as demons. These fallen angels somehow, there's not a lot of description here, somehow took on physical appearance because we know that angels in the Bible can and did take on physical appearance. These fallen angels took on physical appearance They cohabitated with earthly women, and the result was a giant race of people. The Bible records a a bunch of different races that fall in that category of giant races. The Nephilim, in fact, when it says in Genesis 6-4, what I just read, that there were giants on the earth, the word giants uh, in Hebrew is Nephilim. Nephilim means fallen ones. So you have different things in the Bible, different races that are mentioned. Nephilim, Rephaites, Zuzites, Emites, Horites, and Anakites. Those different groups of people mentioned in the Old Testament fall under the category of giant races of people. I know this sounds kind of like sci-fi, and this is just like, for some people, it's like, this is really a strange thing. It is a strange thing. You see them before the flood. You also see them briefly after the flood. Because Joshua uh, uh, records them. 2 Samuel 21, we get to 2 Samuel. They, they, they are uh, written about still um, because they, they still existed before and after the flood. They were not wiped off. And yet then they mysteriously pay, uh, fade off the pages of the Bible. So we don't know what really happened to them. But there is a, a guy mentioned in Deuteronomy 3.11. You don't need to turn there. His name is Og. He was king of Bashan. He was of the Rephaites. Okay, part of this giant race. And in Deuteronomy 3.11, it says that his bed measured 13 and a half feet long by six feet wide. Because he was a giant of a man. Okay. So what we read about Goliath back here in 1 Samuel 17 is that he fell among the giant races. And it is believed he was part of the Rephaites. Why do we say that? Because he's from Gath and the Rephaites lived in Gath. So I know this seems like, again, really sci-fi kind of stuff, but but there were giant races of people on the earth. And I'm not going to make it a whole study about the Nephilim and the giant races, but um, you can you can read extensively about them. Uh, it was one of the reasons why the spies, if you remember, when initially the spies were sent into, Moses sent uh, uh, 12 spies into the promised land to spy out the land before they uh, went into the promised land. And 10 came back with a bad report. And what was part of their bad report? We've seen giants in the land and we appear as grasshoppers, like, like in, in size and perspective. And so because of that, a, a bad report spread among the Israelites and only two, Joshua and Caleb said, no, no, no. Okay. Maybe there's giants in the land, but we could take them because the Lord's on our side. And only Joshua and Caleb would go into the promised land. All of that current generation would die in the wilderness because they didn't believe God. And only their children would go into the promised land with Joshua and Caleb. So the giant race of people have been around in the Old Testament, and Goliath is part of this giant race of people. And he stands here nine feet, nine inches tall. And uh, it tells us in verse 5, I'm back here in 1 Samuel 17, verse 5, that he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels. Now, you read different commentaries, and it's anywhere from 125 pounds to 200 pounds. That's how much this coat of mail weighed on this giant of a man. You know, ho, ho, ho. 
Uh, Green Giant. All right. And so here he comes out with, uh, you know, 125 to 200 pounds of, of uh, weight on him, this coat of mail out of bronze. Verse 6, and he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders because he was like, you know, was hung between his shoulders. And now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. So that translates to about 13 to to 17 pounds, just the, just the head of a spear. Okay. And a shield bearer went before him. Why does he need one? I don't know, but he's got a shield bearer before him. You go out, you carry my shield. Okay. And then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel. And he said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. I should have worked it out with the sound guys to like do some kind of a giant voice on my microphone (laughs) when I read that. But anyway, and verse 10, and the Philistine said, he adds, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed, circle that in your Bibles, and greatly afraid. Dismayed in Hebrew is chatat. It means terrified or broken. This is, these are your, these are your strongest fighting men of the Israeli army, and they are terrified, and they are broken. Now, this is a reminder to us, and this isn't the first time we're going to see a statement about their fear. We're going to see it also in verse 24, but it's a principle for us because the enemy will always play on your fears. And why is this important for us to remember? Because oftentimes the greatest battle against what the enemy plants in our heads, you know, the way he whispers things that can stir fear in our hearts, is this battle of the mind to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Because first, uh, Second Timothy 1, 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So fear does not come from the Lord. That is either from our own flesh or that is from the enemy trying to rattle us. Fear is not from the Lord. And we have to fight with everything in us when we get into those times of tremendous fear. You ever been in those moments of just tremendous fear where it's all you can do to just Keep your head above water. You don't want to drown in the fear. But we have to remind ourselves and pray through it. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7. 1 John 4.8 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Well, the Bible says God is love. He is perfect love. So the more I have of Him, the less fear I have in me. And we have to work. We have, this is a battle. Man, just like, just like Goliath comes out here to to try to make the whole army afraid, and he succeeds. The enemy of our souls is going to always try to use fear to cripple us. And we have to fight that. And we have to constantly be giving our fears to the Lord, our worries to the Lord, our anxiety to the Lord, because that is a common tactic of the enemy. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, his dad, who, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. Talking about Jesse. And the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. The names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. 
David was the youngest, the youngest of the eight. And the three oldest followed Saul, but David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So in other words, David just sometimes went to the battlefield to just kind of look over the shoulders of his brothers, but he wasn't old enough to fight. He was a shepherd boy. So he'd come and see, how's the battle going, guys? And then he'd go back home and tend sheep. It says in verse 16, and the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. So that's the standoff here between these two armies. Goliath would present himself every morning and every evening for 40 days. So 80 times he's presented himself and taunted the Israeli army. 80 times taunting them. Goliath is the first trash talker of the Bible, you know? And he's like, oh, you miserable, weak, you know, Israel. He's like, who do you guys think you are? We're, we're the Philistines and I'm Goliath, you know? And he's just going on about this, taunting them. Hoping what? Hoping that they'll retreat and just give up and run. So he's happy to come out every day for 40 days because they don't have to fight. They don't have to die in war. And he's just hoping to intimidate them enough that they'll give up and run. Well, it says in verse 17, And then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. Okay, again, because David's not old enough to fight in the bat, in the, in the war. So he's not, he's not yet 20 years old. You had to be 20 or older in order to fight in the army. Verse 18, he says, and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. And now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And so David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in a battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. And then he talked with them. And there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. Now, you know, here's the scene. David is this young kid. By the way, you're going to see here a little bit later that, like, the brothers are like, you know, scram. Like, like get it. we're fighting here. You, you, you should be tending sheep. Like, you're just a kid. At this time, David is thought to be somewhere around 15 to 17 years of age now. And so he's too young to fight in the battle. And he's like, you know, thanks for the cheese, but go home. Like, uh, get out of here. And so scram, little kid. But he comes, and he's hearing Goliath taunt the Israeli army. And really, by extension, Goliath is taunting the God of Israel. And David hears this. And so keep reading, verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, Goliath, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. There's that verse again about fear. That's the enemy's tactic. And so the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. What's this? Yeah. King Saul has actually given an incentive to any man in his army If you're brave enough to go out and fight Goliath, here's what you're going to get. Three things. This is the reward, okay? You're going to get great riches. You're going to get my daughter, my youngest daughter in marriage. 
and your father, meaning your household too, and your father's descendants will be exempt from taxes for the rest of their lives. That's the incentive. And so the, the, the guys in the Israeli army are talking about this. You know, you've, we've heard King Saul, they're like, you know, you know you're going to get rich and you get his daughter for a wife and we get tax exemption. This is a pretty good deal. David's hearing this, right? David's hearing this. In verse, verse 26, and then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what? What's this? What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know, tough kid with a staff, but he is. He is tough. And he wants to hear, what, what's the reward again? Now, mind you, he's like 17. All right? Every 17-year-old boy wants to know, what's the pay, and who's the girl I get, and no taxes, right? So this is intriguing to him. But even beyond that, I mean, this guy has a heart for the Lord. He wants to defend the reputation of the living God. And so verse 27, and the people answered him in this manner, saying, so shall it be for the man who kills him. Now, verse verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness, little shepherd boy? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. You know, proud little brat. And, and so David said, look at the next verse. What have I done now? What have I done now? What have I done? Can you just see these brothers like back and forth? You know, the oldest brother's like, get out of here, kid. And he's like, what? What have I done now? And he goes and he adds, David adds, is there not a cause? I love that question because he's saying like, there's a reason we have to fight. Is there not a cause here? Like, like God's name, God's name is being, is being slandered here by this Philistine giant. And you guys are just sitting around here, not doing anything about it. Is there not a cause? Now, I, I, I want to glean one other point out of this. Number two, listen, because this is important. When you decide to get serious with God, you can expect to have your critics. David is this young guy, but he's serious about God. And when he gets serious about God... Eliab is the first one to shame him and to ridicule him. Look, when you get serious about God, you will have your critics. There will be people who will say to you things that are maligning and demeaning, um, whatever their motive is, jealousy, or um, you, you have you know, uh, a measure of joy that they don't, and so they're, they're upset with you, or, or, or just because you love Jesus, have you ever gotten this? Just because you love Jesus, somebody thinks that you think that you're better than they are, which, which you should never think that, okay? We're all sinners saved by grace, but people who have not entered into that relationship with Jesus instantly think, oh, you must think you're better than me now. You got Jesus, so you think you're better than me. Oh, aren't you proud? You know, and that's what Eliab is saying here. You're proud. You're proud. He's not proud. He's just delivering cheese and crackers. He's delivering cheese and crackers, and he wants to fight for the name of the Lord, his God. That's it. But your critics will accuse you of a whole bunch of things. Because they don't get what you what you have with God. And so, out of whatever their motive, uh, they will criticize, they will malign, they will demean. Don't let it rattle you. And so, verse 30, and then they turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. 
Verse 31, and now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of the Philistine of of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So praise God. He's volunteering. I'm, I'm the guy. The rest of your army is just sitting around eating cheese and crackers that I brought. But I'm going to go out. I'm going to fight this guy. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from 1 Samuel again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in 1 Samuel and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.